welcome to Minute 87 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is J-Dub of Dubsism. Welcome back, J-Dub. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, had a lot of fun yesterday. Let's uh, keep that rolling. Let's uh, continue. So, episode 87 begins with Roger finishing his response to Danny, which we, we discussed yesterday. We kept everyone, you know, in uh, in suspense to find out what Roger's actually going to say. Goes all the way till we have Mac telling Ives that we're nearly at the trees. So, as we were discussing yesterday, at this point, Strachwitz and uh, two of, uh, two of his guards, including one of them, is uh, Werner. They're walking around the barracks trying to find something, some sort of tunnel, some secretive things that, that the prisoners have apparently left around or whatever it is. Danny notices on the out. We see him on the outside of the barracks. He knows something's going on, so what he does is he right now goes and alerts Roger Ramsey and Willie about this. Basically, Roger asked who's the, the guard that's, that's looking around in the barracks. He told him it's Strathwitz. Roger's response yesterday was, we have to, and today we get, the, him to, we get him to finish the sentence by saying, ignore it. Not necessarily something that you would expect. You know, they're, they're trying to actively keep, keep things from, from the, the guards, but on the other hand... You know, the first thing that anyone wants to do is go on the defense and try and find a way to to make sure that, that you're able to keep, keep tunnels safe. He continues by saying, if we pay any attention, the goons will know the hut's important, which also makes sense. You know, sometimes you don't want to tip your hat too much. If you do so, then they're going to know that something's going on. And th- this is something that, that in the, the real camp, I'm sure they had to deal with also. You know, whenever the guards would get, cl- get close by, they, they had to to find ways to try to divert the attention somewhere else. Well, you said, um, you know, earlier, you, you, you just mentioned, you know, that they're, they're going on the defensive, you know, ignoring what, what the Germans are doing. And that just another sports thing popped into my head. Football, when you're ahead in a game, a lot of teams like to play what's called the prevent defense, where you just, you play soft and you don't let you know, the ball get thrown over your head. You don't let deep plays. You don't let big plays. You'll give away everything underneath. The problem is when you do that, you give away a lot of first downs, which is why a lot of football fans will say the prevent defense prevents you from winning. <laughs> so um, don't know if, um, if uh, you know, the prisoners and the Germans understand um, the nuances of American football yet in 1940, whatever, but uh, that's just what popped into my head. So, Okay, no, that. that's, that's good. Now, I, again, I'm, I, when it comes to sports, the only thing I know anything about, at least historically, is baseball. I don't know anything about baseball the last few years. You know, I've, I've been a little out of it for the last five years or so, maybe even a little more than that. Would you say that that's, simply, that's also possibly you can consider the intentional walk the same type of thing? The intentional walk. The idea is, is you're trying to keep your, you know, you, you don't want to let your, your clean, the, the other team's cleanup hitter uh, clean your clock, so you're just going to give them first base. Yeah, instead. yeah, you could, you oh, you definitely do that. I've seen so many times where you walk a guy, and then the guy that you put on base, the guy behind him says, "Oh, you think you can beat me with a pitch? So okay, bring me your best stuff. You've just amped him up, and then he hits the two run homer to kill you. So yeah, absolutely, exactly. All right, so we we got a few quick sports analogies, right? Great, right, so those right are bonus. Those are freebies. I haven't even gotten to the main one. Yeah, so. <laughs> All right, we're, we're holding that out for the, for, for the end of this episode. We want to we keep people listening so that they, you know, 
if we, if we give it out, give it all away so soon, they're they're, they're not going to so keep all listening. You're still listening. Right. Damn it, we're glad to have you. You know, thanks for being here. Of course, of course. <laughs> so at this point, Roger basically uh, decides to just uh, give a toast. <laughs> you know, I guess it's, if you can't beat them, you might as well just okay. drink up. And his toast is "Here's to going home," which which. <laughs> Which is somewhat. It sounds. It seems as if he's saying that in despair. You know, he he's he's very concerned that they're actually going to find something by by doing it that way. And then you you can see the look on his face as he, you know, on the one hand, you know, he just took another swig of of uh, the booze, but he's he's looking and just hoping that that these guards are not as smart as one would would hope, or that they wait that these guards are not. Smart enough. That's it. Forget about hope. Yeah. yeah. I, no, I, I, I understood, I understood exactly enough. where you're going. And despite, despite my screwy, weird sports yeah. analogies, I think you and I are headed in the same direction on this one. So we go back into to the barracks and we see Strachwitz also still looking a little frustrated because he hasn't been able to find anything. What's, what's interesting is he's, he starts moving. He's sitting down on the bunks. He, he feels something strange underneath him. Quickly, you know, pulls up the mattress and pulls out two boards that have this strange shape uh, cut out of them, which, uh, you know, doesn't actually seem very suspicious or strange. Just, uh, okay, they broke, they're, you know, whatever. He, he himself notices that, that he, he doesn't notice anything strange out of it. He looks at it, tries to figure out what it could be used for, looks at his guards. They, they look around. They have no idea either. And then we have Roger trying to keep uh, Danny a little calm because Danny keeps looking at the barracks to try and figure out what's going on. He goes, come on, Danny. They've searched it a hundred of times. And then once again, he gives another, you know, he raises his glass again, decides to, to, to give give another toast and says, home, which is basically the same toast he gave before. But, you know, but it, it also makes me wonder how much he's actually drinking each each time because his, I guess it looks like a frying pan <laughs> holding or a saucepan or whatever it is. It's not that big. You know, he's been drinking a lot out of it, and we, he hasn't gotten a refill. So he, he's taking a little sips each time. Well, maybe he's like, you know, playing that game when you were doing those drinking games back in college. Well, you like, sorry, I mean, in our last episode, you already mentioned you're not a drinker, so. Yes. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking completely to myself here. And there's those games where, you know, you play a game, and you, know, you have to drink every time you lose something. And when you start getting um, over-served, shall we say, you know, the sips get smaller and smaller because, you know, um, well, have you ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, of course. You know, of the, course. the drink. I knew, I knew the that drink, you were going there. Yeah, that the, yeah, you know, you don't want to be you don't want to be the um, the guy that ends up wheels up under the table. You know, exactly. So, so the sips get small. But um, exactly. Um, the the fact that you picked up on the boards here is really that's kind of the central of this central part of this whole minute because that was where my keyword for this this scene came from, and the keyword is clue. And, um, you know, the way the way the Germans are looking at those boards, they know they've seen something, but they don't know what. And so when I say clue, this is not, you know, Colonel Mustard in the German POW camp with the Mauser submachine gun. This is they look at them. They look at them again. They don't know what they're looking at. They put them back and they move on. You know, what's interesting is, is that we as viewers know what it is because we they've already shown us what it's used for. So we know that the, this is key. Well, this isn't something that 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 that's completely. This is not a a red herring. 
Well, exactly. But I, I came at these like, these are the only five mi- minutes of this movie I've ever seen. I mean, it's clearly not. I've seen this movie several times. I love it. So I know what the what the concave cuts of the board right. are for. But I'm looking at that just in terms of that minute of the film. Thinking, what What is that? And then I thought, you know, James Garner's in this movie. And we're really lucky that James Garner's on the Allied side. Because if James Garner's a German in that scene, he's going to pull out the, his Jim Rockford. He's going to look at those boards, and he's going to figure something out, just like he always did on the Rockford Files. <laughs> That's great. Uh, at this point, you know, he just realizes that that he doesn't know what these, thing, what, what these planks are and puts them back underneath the blanket. And then he stands up. I love how he doesn't even straighten his hat. He leaves his hat, you know, at a very strange angle, which, you know, is, uh, it might just be a stereotype, but from what we usually see in movies featuring Germans, you know, they're always very proper. You know, they make sure that, that, that everything is, is done exactly right. You know, that they're, they, they look tidy and ship-shaped, but his hat is a little, you know, it's, it's, it's on a slant here. You know, it, I, I like the fact that they don't have him, because he's frustrated, he's flustered. You know, he's try- he knows there's something that he's supposed to be trying to find, but he just can't find it, and he just doesn't correct his hat. Then we go back to the outside, and we see two new characters that we haven't seen recently. We get to see Ives and Mac discussing things that are going on. They both have their uh, cups of, of booze. Ives actually has a very large <laughs> tin of booze there. You can in some ways say that, that it might even be bigger than he is. <laughs> Max says, well, anyway, I'm glad that we've got you in the tunnel with us. To Tom, eh? And he actually calls him Piglet in this point, in this in this scene. Now, this is the first time that we've actually heard the phrase Piglet used in the movie. Now, I've discussed this before when we've discussed uh, Ives in other scenes. Ives is actually based on a character whose name was Piglet. There, there, there was a character in the original uh, camp who was one of the main tunnel guys. I think, they, if I remember correctly, he was Rhodesian, and his his name or nickname was, was Piglet. So I just found it very interesting that they, they throw that in here because this isn't something that anyone should really uh, pick up on. No, sorry, he was, he was a New Zealander. His name was Pignet Lamont, and he was the mole. So I, I just I like the fact that they, they throw that in here for, for, for those of us who, you know, read the book and actually know the the comment i'm not familiar with the book but it sounds like at some point now i have to yeah i mean the the book is 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 you know someone just telling the story it was one of the one of the prisoners who who in the end wasn't able to be on the escape itself itself which he was obviously a little upset about at the time but i think uh, a few weeks later he was a little more relieved that <laughs> that that he wasn't one of the 76 who got out so, well, let me let me ask you this, and without going into great detail, and assuming that normally the books tend to be closer to the true story than the movies do, on a scale of 1 to 10, how close is the movie to the book in terms of how close to the true story it is? That's a very good question, and it's difficult to answer because the characters are all either made up or they're amalgams of other characters. But essentially, the the main story is is true. This whole July Fourth scene doesn't ha- didn't happen in real life, because the escape actually took place in March, and not in not during the summer. So there there, there is a lot of stuff added by Hollywood here. So it's it's hard to actually give you give you a definitive answer, because it depends on what you're looking for. 
Okay. Uh, I know a lot of people with real connections to, to the real escape are not happy with the way that this movie was made because of the fact that it left out a lot of the the real stories of the real men that, that made the escape. They, they actually made a sequel to this movie, which is a pseudo-sequel, which came out in 1988. The, it's called the, the Great Escape 2, The Untold Story. And that is actually much closer to telling the story as it was because they even used a lot of the real names as opposed to change, they changed all the names here. Even Roger, the, 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 the real character was, was Roger Bouchel and not, and not Roger Bartlett. Okay. I, I, I have a vague memory of that movie, but I'm, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. I actually recently rewatched it and it's, it's, it's interesting. It's not as good as this because it's, it's also, it's a made for TV movie. And it just isn't as uh, action-packed or suspenseful as this one is. But it's still pretty good. And then you get Christopher Reeves. I mean, you, they got a great cast there also. Okay. Uh, so if you get a chance, to check it out. Okay. So I responds, uh, I. And Mac says to him, to Tom, I. And then we, we once again get to see Ives contemplating what's going on. I mean, we know that he's he's close to breaking. What, what they do here is once again show us that you know he's he's thinking all right let's let's hope that that tom actually works i mean in in the original script ives was one of the was one of the main tunnelers uh hiltz was also one of the main tunnelers in, in the original script but I'm, I'm glad they took the two of them out of that because they they make more sense with the way that they they are in in the movie here and then at, at that point max says to him well ah never mind you'll be walking down argyle street in a couple of weeks <laughs> um, which I, I must say that, that in all the times that I've seen this movie, I never paid attention to that line. It never made any sense. It never, never, uh, it never made me stop and think, okay, what is that? But obviously when you're doing a Movies by Minute podcast, you need to start thinking about that. So I looked up what Argyle Street is, and it, it's uh, actually a major thoroughfare in the center of Glasgow, Scotland. Yes. It's, it's one of the main shopping streets in the, in the city. And it's also the longest street by distance in the city center because it runs 2.1 miles long, which is 3.4 kilometers. I have a I have a couple of Glaswegian friends. I'm going to have to verify that with them, but I I mean I, I'm sure you're right. No, I, I, I don't know. I never I've never measured it. I, I'm taking I'm taking my information from uh, Wikipedia. So if if Wikipedia is incorrect, then tell your Glasgowian friends that they should go in and change what it says in Wikipedia. Well, uh, Robert. Robert has a great line about uh, Wikipedia. He says that it is 97% accurate 3% of the time. There you go. <laughs> that works. That works. Uh, and at this point, we, we get, uh, I was responding to Tom, you know, Sandy, I'm just beginning to realize that myself, which is great because, as as I've said, we, we, we start seeing Ives in he, he's torturing himself because you know he keeps trying to get out and doesn't isn't able to do so. He's about to pretty much break throughout most of the movie, and at this point you see a sense of hope in the way that he's speaking. You know, it, it changes. We, we see that that finally something there's something that's happening that's making Ives say, "Oh, you know what? I actually am going to have a chance of getting out just with everybody else." And then Mac responds to him, "Well, why shouldn't you?" We're nearly at the trees, boys. We're nearly at the trees. He actually repeats the line twice. Right. Trying to, which I find it interesting that, that you know, if you have 600 prisoners, I mean, you brought up Stalag 17 yesterday, right? If you have 600 
plus prisoners in the camp. You still even know you're trying to get 250 out. You, you can't let everyone know what's going to happen because it's possible that there's going to be someone who's going to leak some information at some point. You know, these characters are in the know. They're both aware that they're nearly at the trees. Well, Ed, you brought up you brought up something interesting as long as we're going to, you know, do a callback to yesterday. Yesterday when I was talking about that scene and we talked about the threat of imminent discovery. Well, in this scene where you start talking about, you know, hope and the the walk down Argyle Street, the the, the phrase threat of imminent discovery changes to there's there's the promise of a new day coming, you know, and, and in post-production, if you want to, you know, dub in the uh, bad Paul Abdul song from the 80s of that title, feel free. But uh, <laughs> um, but you, you're right. There's 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 a rising sense of hope that, you know, we're at the trees. We're going to be walking down Argyle Street. Something's going to happen. And then you balance that against the character who you said you look looks like he's about ready to snap. But even he is starting to get lifted by the rising tide of hope. And that that is a huge part of this scene. And then you get back to the boards with the concave cuts in them. Right. You know, because that balances it out like, oh, there's promise. There's hope. Oh, crap. The Germans may be on the, the, the verge of discovering this. Right. But Mac and Ives don't know that. They're not they're they're not sitting with Roger and Ramsey and Danny and Willie. So they don't know that this is actually going on. Right. Which which helps them to be much more hopeful in everything that's going on. Well, yeah, and back in the film is lit class, I failed in college. You know, when when the viewer knows something that characters on the screen don't, I think they call that dramatic irony. Which, yes. you know, which, you know, uh, which you know, when we get to tomorrow's episode, I think we're going to get more into that. But um, yeah, a but, little, a little bit more. But before, <laughs> you know, I don't want to get the cart in front of the horse here yet. So I'm just that was what was popping into my head. Okay. All right. Do you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get to your sports analogy? Um, no, I think I, um, I think I, uh, uh, put myself out there in terms of, uh, wrapping up my thoughts and, uh, setting, uh, setting the stage for tomorrow. Okay. Well, do you want to give us today's sports, uh, analogy? Today's sports analogy is actually really, really timely because this is almost happening. Week. I, I, I don't know where you are. Uh, if you were paying attention to um, horse racing yesterday, uh, but yesterday was the Belmont Stakes, and that's one of the big three Triple Crown horse races. But the big story in horse racing is um, Bob Baffert, one of the biggest trainers, biggest uh, figures in, in the game, uh, got suspended by Churchill Downs because his horses keep uh, c- testing positive for illegal substances. And this has been going on for a while. And when it first started, it struck me just like the moment when the Germans found the concave cut boards. They don't know what they're using them for yet, but they know they're for something. When they were testing Baffert's horses, something's not right here, but we don't know what it is yet. Then yesterday it comes out, okay, all of the tests that they've come back are positive, and they've banned this guy from the sport for two years which is, you mentioned earlier, baseball is your historic frame of reference when it comes to sports. Imagine in 1927 if we would have kicked Babe Ruth on That's the equivalent. Wow. So, and like I said, it's an ongoing story just like we're talking about here because when we get into tomorrow and the next day, we're going to discover more about those concave cut boards. All right. Great. 
do you want to tell people once again how they can get in touch with you? Dubsism, D-U-B-S-I-S. Search result on Google. It's the keyword to find me on multiple platforms. Email dubsism at yahoo.com. Dubsism on Facebook, Instagram, um, Smoke Signal, Carrier Pigeon, you name it. Dubsism is the word, is the way to find me. All right. Excellent. While you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher they might be using to listen to this show. You can send an email, thegreatminute at gmail.com. Our Facebook group is The Cooler. Our website is thegreatescapeminute.com. And our Twitter account is GreatEscapeMXM. So, until tomorrow, tally-ho. And in the immortal words of Jimi Hendrix, we got to wait until tomorrow. Tally-ho. Tally-ho.